Welcome to the 175th Thursday edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. It is Notre Dame Georgia Tech Week, number 8 versus number 14. I'm Tim Priester with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley to talk about the big matchup uh, between top-rated teams, undefeated teams, the Georgia Tech running game juggernaut that is so difficult for everybody to stop, especially on third down and you don't get three and outs against them either. So it's going to be a real challenge. Let's, let's jump into uh, talking about some of the news of the week first. Um, yet another injury um, to the Notre Dame offense and Durham Smythe is out for the season. Yeah. It's uh we didn't really get a chance to see the injury occur on Saturday against Virginia, but on the replay, you can see like Quentin Nelson trying to crash down into somebody who kind of gets out of the way. And it looks like there's just kind of, you can see Smythe blocking in front of him, and then he's going to get rolled up by Nelson, and then he hobbles off from there. But also had a shoulder injury. I mean, I was sort of told, uh, talking to people close to the situation, they hurt his shoulder against Texas, and then came back against Virginia, basically gutted it out, and then ends up hurting his knee at the end of that one as, as well. So then, you know, broke that story Monday night on Tuesday. Notre Dame releases that, yeah, he's out for the year. Two surgeries. Uh, everything that I've been told is that he'll be back for spring practice. These aren't uh, overly serious. Um, the, shoulder, the shoulder is not in the Barati-Randolph realm in terms of severity. Um, it's much more of a cleaner operation. So he uh, should be back in spring. But until then, Notre Dame is down their best tight end. Um, you know, I think we all feel that Alize Jones has a chance to be great here, but now he has to be great right now. Well, when they're running double tight end, yeah. it's Smythe and Luatua, so that person has to be replaced. And, Tim, you, we were talking about it. Maybe that replacement in double tight end situations is Chase Hounsell. It is, and I, I think it would be if you're that confident in your running game, but the problem with losing Smythe, I think, they have a lot of good depth. You have Jones and Wisher, might have better balls. We don't know for a fact, but might have better ball skills than Smythe. They're at least comparable. Hounshell and Luatua can probably block as well as Smythe, but he's the one that can do both. And it's it's not a he can be in the game, and it's not oh this is an obvious run on third and three. There's a lot of things Jerem Smythe can do. Now the fifth player out for the season, and I, I was on the message board the other day and kind of tried to rank the injuries in terms of the replacement for them. I mean, you could probably argue that the loss of Sean Crawford's as significant as any because the replacement really is Devin Butler, not Kavari Russell. In the lineup, yeah, I would. I mean, Zaire. Zaire, no, could okay. the quarterback? The quarterback right, first. If the question is for who's four and who's right, five, right, right, yeah, okay, yeah. Right. The like, quarterback's first, no doubt about. Yeah, that. no, I, I would agree with the Sean Crawford situation because I mean, basically, the buzz that I've sort of heard the last few days that Devin Butler is down and Nit Watkins is up. Like last weekend was sort of enough. Yeah. Um, that third down toward the end of the game where Butler got. Caught looking in the backfield, and Brian Kelly made that point on Tuesday during his press conference that, like, look, you just can't do right. that. Um, so that's he was going to have a short leash, and I, I think it, I went through and charted every snap defensively, and every snap was either base or dime. They didn't play one snap of nickel the entire game, which is just a statistical anomaly, but I think it goes to if they had Sean Crawford and it was Cole Luke, Sean Crawford, Kavari Russell – then they could almost then nickel might be their base defense, and I think that would be a really really athletic group of guys. Well, that was another installation move by yeah. by Brian Van Gorder, uh, which you can read about um, on Thursday on our website about the opinions of the players. And naturally, 
I mean, they're not going to be outspoken about, yeah, this is too much. We can't comprehend right. all this. But it is kind of interesting to hear how eagerly they do support the variety. James Anawalu had some really great comments that if we're sitting in cover four every day in practice, man, this is going to get really boring. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I guess you're, I, I think, look, that's Brian Van Gorder's approach, but it also helps the team be more aggressive, be more disruptive, uh, have more fun playing the game, and in the process, preparing them for those that make it onto the next level. I, I found their comments interesting, too, because I do kind of believe Schmidt and Otawalu are challenged by those things, and, and they really want to, they're, they're mentally, they're smart players, but I remember talking to Manti Teo, not to channel the old name Bob Diaco again, just because the current defensive coordinator had a bad game, but uh, Manti Teo said, we can play the exact same defense on every single snap if we play it right. That's why this defense is good. <laughs> So he didn't get two boards sitting Something there playing cover two. Well, and, that's uh, like three, four, four, three. There's yeah. not one that's better. It's which you play right. better. Well, the the curious case of Ronnie Stanley became a little bit more curious last night when uh, when Tim asked him about <laughs> when Tim asked him about you know the Showtime uh, clip that got out that wasn't supposed to. They ended up getting uh, edited out and him not being named captain, and he kind of matter-of-factly said parking, and I curiously looked at him and said, parking? And uh, I don't know, do, I, we don't really have any greater clarification. We've got a word to to kick around and make fun of, but do we really have any greater clarification? No, it's it's parking for now. I mean, it's... I, <laughs> well, no, that's Notre Dame stance. Yeah, Let's hear a, your opinion yeah, on that, Yeah, I mean, Pete. I don't think there's a lot of... Like okay, I'll buy that from the media afterwards. I mean, it's just sort of a. I guess I did. I did initially because I've been around long enough to, to remember <laughs> guys. That's you know, I was talking, getting suspended for parking talk, violations. Talking to somebody who works over on campus this morning, they were like, and I was joking with him, like parking, fine, give me a break. And he's like, they're actually really <laughs> serious about parking Absolutely. over there. Absolutely, there's a lot so of construction like, going on. Maybe, you know, you maybe I could see that, but I. I don't know. It is really one of the more there's so many bizarre stories around here. This just sort of is another one, and it will create a massive list of puns on Saturday when Ronnie Stanley is drive blocking or puts the brakes on the offense or the offense is staying within the lines. I mean, it's going to be unbelievable on Saturday on Twitter. Unless he parked his car on the 50 yard line, yeah. I'm not sure yeah. that that is what happened. But we did clarify one thing: uh, they did not want it out. Ronnie Stanley. Admitted, I was he was very upset that it got out as well, and uh, I'd be really upset too if someone found out I had a couple parking tickets. <laughs> so I'm sure that's the uh, that's, the, the that's thing, what happened. I, I mean, I I think the thing we have to keep in mind is he didn't get suspended. Right. He just didn't get the C on his chest. And look, I know that's a that's a huge deal to be a captain of the Notre Dame football team. That's a monstrous deal. But uh, he he carries on, and I doubt that the 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 parking issue will uh, come into play when the NFL people sit down with him and, 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 and vet him out. I think the equipment manager should take his jersey and put a circle and a P and a line <laughs> through it. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, on the field, we got Deshaun Kaiser, who had his first sort of midweek press conference. Um, and I was not there for it, but I, I was pretty upfront on our last podcast. So I was sort of really blown away by how professional and mature he sounds. It really sounded like you're talking to a 28-year-old. And... Just I listened to the call. You guys were there. I mean, it sounds like he—that's just sort of how he's wired. He, and he's—he's he's 
really honest. I asked him when he got comfortable. I was expecting to hear after I got hit or after I hit Corey Robinson. He's like, well, I'm really not comfortable yet. And, and you would think that would be like a sign of weakness, but it's not with him. He's just saying, no, I have so much to learn. I have so much yeah. to do. And then he we kind of went back and he said he started to feel a little better when he, when he converted that and, and threw that ball to ProSize. Incredibly mature. And uh, and I was not at his post-game press conference um, in Virginia because I went out, Pete stayed in, and I went out to talk to the other players. So, I mean, I, I saw it, but I wasn't actually there. And, uh, yeah, very mature, very impressive. That gives you great hope that he can handle difficult situations. Fortunately for him, his first start is in Notre Dame Stadium, so that adds a little bit of a comfort zone. I thought one of the more fascinating things to come out of this, maybe not fascinating, but it just validated what my opinion of Everett Golson was all along. When when I said that he was selfish and I, people jumped on me about the fact that he had to do what he had to do for himself, I never questioned that. It was that he was a bad teammate, and it was proven once again because never did Everett Golson call Deshaun Kaiser to say, hey, I'm leaving, or hey, I'm sorry, I cost you snaps in the spring or what have you. Kaiser confirmed that he still hasn't spoken to Golson to this day. I think it's great that he found out about Golson leaving when he was taking a statistics exam. <laughs> that was good times. Yeah. <laughs> my phone's blowing up. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my work. And <laughs> yeah, that was a fairly interesting sidebar to that. I don't, you guys watched the Showtime uh, series this week. I mean, it was, there was some interesting stuff in there. Max Redfield talking about his broken thumb, which you know I think we saw and really affected him on Saturday. But also, you saw, I guess, a little collaboration between... Mike Sanford and Mike Dembrock about uh, the top 10 routes and top 10 plays that Zaire likes and what Kaiser likes. And Kelly mentioned this after the game on Saturday. And I sort of asked him, you know, what's what sort of like the Venn diagram between those two? And he didn't really engage specifically about it. But um, there was, you know, I'm just sort of curious to see how Denbrock, Sanford, Kelly, whoever's calling the plays ultimately manages and how the offense changed. Because I think as for as much as, Kelly says we're going to be running the same offense. I have a hard time seeing that being the case, um, that they would run as much read option or they would run empty and design quarterback runs like they did with Malik. No, there's no way. And, you know, I said, I don't know when I said it, that uh, Kaiser probably wouldn't do any uh, quarterback draws. Sure he will. I mean, that's what he ran on fourth and two. Yeah. I think that'll be part of it too. But there's no doubt that you dial it back. And, and and just the ability to take off and, and run for eight yards or ten yards or twelve yards, I don't think Kaiser he's just not going to get to it as quickly as Zaire. So there's no doubt about that. I, you know, safe passing game. I don't think there's any doubt that you, that that you do some things that are safe. But to Kelly's credit, and I believe him, they've got to be aggressive to win this game. Yes. And at a certain point, you just have to turn them loose and run your offense. And if you're good enough, you win. If you're not, you don't. I, I the one issue I have with the safe passing game for a young quarterback is those are not easy throws either. Do you do, do you know, when you're throwing a bubble screen? It's got to be perfect yeah. for the yards to be there. I think if if you can get him comfortable, get him just I, I'd say get him hit, but I mean get him involved where he's involved in the game and he can stand there and throw. He throws mid range passes very well. Well, I think slants are kind of included yes. in that okay. too. It's yeah. a quick yeah. drop and throw. So I mean, you know, when yeah, a lot of times when you throw wide, it's a very very long throw. Right. And when you're, you know, you're making your first start, you're not going to be real comfortable doing that. But I, I guess my point is that I, I, there's the notion that, well, Notre Dame's going to have to pound the ball and possess the football. Yes, they have to do that, but I think you can mix in the passing game too. All that matters is that you possess the football and move it. It doesn't really matter how you do it. That's probably a good segue into looking ahead to Georgia Tech because 
possessing the football and moving it no matter how you do it. Georgia Tech does it one way, uh, and they do it better than anybody. They have 11 three and outs all last year. And Tim, you and I both sort of saw that in the notes and it jumped off the page. They led the nation. And it's not only that they led the nation, they were twice as good as number two, which yeah. was Oregon. Um, they are great in short yardage, and I think as we saw last week against Virginia, one of the big alarm bells about Notre Dame's offense right now is their short yardage uh, lack of productivity where they just continually seem to get stoned on third one and third and two. Yeah, the, the issue with Georgia Tech, and this actually came from uh, Casey Joyner on ESPN.com, is they led the country last year, and we're using last year because they played Alcorn State in Tulane. Right. This year we really can't draw from that. They led the country last year um, with 47% of their carries went for at least five yards. They also led the country with the fewest carries that resulted in no gain or negative yards. So you're looking at, you're not knocking them back on first and second down. They are dictating the game. And, you know, there's there's a reason they covered nine straight games. Not that that matters. They lost one of them. But they've covered nine straight games because what do they do well? They cross the goal line. They walk, they get off the bus with 28 points. Can you keep, yeah, they're 12 are you going to hold 12. them? To, yeah. They're 12 for 12 in the red zone. I mean, it's ridiculous. Are you going to hold them to 28 or 31? Then you have a chance. But they, they're not, no one's stopping Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's not scoring 17 this year in a game. I've heard, you hear people say, well, they've got, Notre Dame's got to be great on first down defensively. And they do. But you also have to be great on second down because you can be second and nine and you know they can get seven in a heartbeat. Now it's third and two and they're right back where they want to be, whether they did it on first down or second down. Third down, they they converted 57% of their third third downs last year. So very, very problematic. Um, you know, one of the things I want to ask Brian Kelly today is you know, all this talk this week, for me anyway, about the multiplicity of, of Brian Van Gorder's defense and looks and what have you. Well, what about this week? Do you, you can't really afford to be in the same formation with the same assignments every time because they're going to exploit it too in a different way but the same way that you want to be multiple against other opponents don't you have to be multiple against them as well well i think you can be in the same formation all the time like that 4-4 that they played against navy last year i don't know if it will be the same because last year you had schmidt and martini on the inside and then you had anawalu or no you had farley and smith sort of as outside linebackers you can do that, but you got to change up the assignments. I mean, you can't say so the Mike yeah, linebacker always can't take the quarterback. Like you have to vary that. Sometimes the like, and it was interesting talking to Kavari yesterday because he said in Diaco's defense, the corner never really had any run responsibilities. You're just playing the pass. Just worry about that. In Van Gorder's defense, that's not the case. They're sort of changing up responsibilities. So I don't know if you necessarily need to change up formations or personnel a whole lot, but you got to change up what you're doing in your responsibilities. Well, true. I mean, I, okay, I'm interested to hear his answer to that because I think that if you don't change your formations to some extent, you're not going to be able to get to the spot you need if you change your assignment. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we'll, 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 we'll check with Brian Kelly on that today. You know, I guess other things with Georgia Tech, I mean, Justin Thomas has been amazing decision-making and as good a passer as – if you're coming in this game thinking like this is Navy with better athletes, you're right because um, they have a quarterback who can actually pass the football. Which whether it be Ricky Dobbs or whoever you're, you want know, to reference in your old encyclopedia of Navy quarterbacks, yeah. nobody is going to be able to throw the ball as well as Justin Thomas this week. So that's definitely something to watch. You have Patrick Scove, who's a Stanford transfer, younger brother of Shane Scove. Um, so overall, it's this is a. Um, this is a, an incredible test for Brian Van Gorder and his defense. I don't know if I would say 
I think some people in the Notre Dame fan base sort of see it as a referendum on Brian Van Gorder in the same way that uh, maybe it was against for Bob Diaco coming off the Navy game in 2010. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but if Notre Dame loses this game and the defense just can't get, if they're on skates the whole afternoon, then, then yeah, I think that's going gonna, gonna to reflect real poorly. Yeah, they have they have a great offense. That's the best way to say that it, it, it's not an unbeatable team. Obviously, we don't want to go overboard, but they have a gr- legitimately great offense, as good as any offense in the country for what they do. I mean, they they score as many points as they want to score at this point. It's not necessarily a great team. They ended up a great team or a very good team last year. They're eleven and three. Eleven looks great. There were three losses in there. I mean, they lost to Duke um, at Duke. That's their last loss. Or they also lost to Florida State, but that game was back and forth classic. You know, against Duke, they turned the ball over a lot. Um, had almost 500 yards of offense. They actually passed for more yards than they ran for in that game. They only punted once, so it's not like Duke stopped them when they scored 25 points. Normally, they don't punt. I think we look back, there was only one power conference team out of the 11 last year that held them to, or made them punt more than three times, which is just kind of ridiculous. But you can beat, you can, it's not stopping them. I don't channeling Diaco. You can't stop them, you can contain them. But you can negate what they do a little bit if they don't get touchdowns on these drives. They're getting yards. There's... There's an easy 450 yards out there for Georgia Tech in this game. With that, would you would you agree with that? I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't absolutely. mean there's 38 points though. You know, it's... yeah, I, you know, I think I, I keep hearing about I keep hearing the comparisons in Navy's triple option. Mm-hmm. Trust me, this is not Navy. No, this is this is a right. this is a much taller task against Georgia Tech with with their offensive line, four or five starters back on the offensive line, and the other thing is that. I mean, Justin Thomas threw for over 1,700 yards last year and 18 touchdowns. He's not the most accurate. He only threw for about 51%, and he was picked nine times. But you know how a defense can get lulled, lulled to sleep. And one every 5.3 of his completions went for a touchdown last year. So, I mean, he's going to be very, very productive along with the running attack, of course. Well, predictions, O'Malley? <laughs> I mean, this is it's, uh, yards, yards of plenty, uh, touchdowns, yeah. a lot of them. I just made a prediction, 450, <laughs> yards. 450 yards getting off the bus. Um, you know, there are many things that point to Notre Dame winning this game. Uh, I do like the underdog role. It was flipped from a favorite role, whether that matters or not. I think some of the I mean, Will Fuller called it a slap in the face. I don't think anybody on Notre Dame considers themselves an underdog. I think Notre Dame is going to be able to score. I think I'm a little bit higher on Kaiser in his first start with not a whole lot of film available on him for Georgia Tech um, than maybe a couple of games down the line. I think it could be tough for Kaiser when he gets into the Clemson game. I think Notre Dame needs 38 points to win the game, and I'm not sure they can get to that. I I agree with the 38 points. Um, I think Georgia Tech will cruise into the 30s in this one. I, I, I'm picking Notre Dame because it doesn't make any sense to pick yeah, Notre Dame. Yeah, um, it's just sort of like, yeah, every, kind of an everyone going against them mentality and justifiably so. Like, like if Notre Dame lost 35-21, that would not surprise me at all. Um, but I, I like Notre Dame in a weird kind of counterintuitive spot. There's a reason Brian Kelly is 15-1 and one at Notre Dame with um, redshirt freshman or freshman quarterbacks. Kaiser obviously fits that bill, so... I'll go. No, I I wish with you. I think Notre Dame needs to get a thirty-eight. So I'll say they get exactly two thirty-eight, and Georgia Tech gets a thirty-five. Um, Thirty-seven I, and a half, maybe. Yeah, I think this is going to be a back and forth game, um, and that's really that. It just, I would be stunned if it wasn't a back and forth game. 
Because if it's not, that means Notre Dame got punched in the mouth. Right. I think you made a great point about not being surprised if Georgia Tech wins by 14. I'd be pretty surprised if Notre Dame went on 135-21. But yeah. I wouldn't be shocked at all if Notre Dame wins this game by three points or, or they look great on offense and make enough stops on defense to win. But I, I don't think they can go out there and, and put one on Georgia Tech. Like, I think Georgia Tech could go out and put one on Notre Dame. I agree with everything you guys are saying. <laughs> and I do think 38 points is, is that in fact, that's a number I'm looking at for Georgia Tech. I think that's probably a low number for Georgia Tech. You know, the thing about Georgia Tech, you know, they gave up, I mentioned this earlier, I mean, they gave up five yards of carry last year, which is just startling. I mean, it's amazing that a team could win 11 games when yeah. giving up five yards of carry. That's how prolific their offense is. That's, that's how great it is that it can negate a terrible stat like that. Two huge concerns for me. One, it's Kaiser, not Zaire. I know, like I, I mean, I'm impressed with Kaiser too, but he hasn't started a game. I mean, I would have felt really good about Notre Dame going into this game with Zaire, and I agree with you, Pete. I mean, it doesn't make sense, which is which. A lot of times for Notre Dame and Notre Dame Stadium is Notre Dame's got them right where they want them when that when when you feel that that's the case. But Georgia Tech takes the ball away. They may not. They may not stop the run well. They only had 20 sacks last year. They're not a great sack team, but their DBs will absolutely take the ball away. They were tied for 10th in the country last year with 18 interceptions, and those two guys are back. DJ White, the one corner, Chris Milton, who's a also a punt kick blocking ex- extraordinaire as well. So uh, I'm, I'm likely to pitch, pick Georgia Tech to win this game just because without Malik Zaire, I think Georgia Tech's a better football team. I do have a question for you from your experience with uh, first time starting Notre Dame quarterbacks. Do you agree that it's easier your first start than it is down the line? When there's more film on you, when there's more... Well, that's a good point. Yeah, and you you also, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right, right, is what you're saying there. Yeah, I I think that's a good point. I'm sure Georgia Tech's guessing a little bit as, as far as what Notre Dame's going to do, but... I mean, there isn't anything that Kaiser's going to run that we haven't seen Zaire run either. So, uh, it, will it be less running of the football? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think Notre Dame's playbook is so expansive in Georgia Tech's mind that they're so- suddenly going to see Kaiser doing things that Zaire didn't do. All right. Well, that's it for segment one of Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll come back to wrap up the show, talk a little bit of re- recruiting with guys coming in for visits this weekend. Welcome back to segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, where we talk about recruiting, and it's going to be a short talk today, because Notre Dame only has, at least that we're aware of, four visitors this weekend, Pete. Yeah, and really the only one that is kind of topical now is Aaron Hansford, who's sort of a three, four-star linebacker safety from Washington, D.C. He was somebody we were able to see at the opening this summer. He's a, I would say, like... A more athletic James Onowalu is a good way to describe him, sort of like in between those two positions. Um, you know, is I think he'll ultimately get linebacker big. Um, you know, is he as athletic as like an Asmar Bilal type guy? I'm not quite sure because he just doesn't have that kind of length. But I mean, this is a really nice looking athlete. Michigan State's involved. I sort of trust their evaluation with defensive prospects. Um, but then also like Oregon is involved. So it's like those are two completely different styles of defense. And I think that's sort of what makes Hansford intriguing. And a personal note with him, his dad, uh, his, he told us that his dad is a big Notre Dame fan. And, you know, 
did the whole like Rudy type thing. So um, it'll be curious to see if Notre Dame can turn his head a little bit this weekend. You know, the local regional schools like Penn State have been involved in him for a little bit longer. And Notre Dame sort of had dropped out of, over the summer when we were at the opening. Notre Dame was sort of mentioned as an afterthought a little bit. Um, and it's easy for these kids to say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to visit Notre Dame because it doesn't cost any money to say you're going to visit Notre Dame, but then to follow up yeah. and actually put in the effort to go with both parents. Um, that's not free. It could be significant. Who, do, who are Notre Dame's main competitors? For I him? would say, I mean, Michigan state is in there, Oregon's in there, but UCLA is in there a little bit too. Uh, and then, you know, he's looked at some of the more Eastern seaboard ACC or Penn state, but I think he's kind of one of those kids that's going to get out of the East Coast and end up elsewhere. I mean, it's it's a when you're UCLA, Oregon, Michigan State, Notre Dame is a pretty eclectic group of schools to visit, and those those kids are always intriguing to me because it's it they've just sort of wired a little bit differently. I think Hampshire is a kid that would fit into Notre Dame really easily, um, and I don't think Notre Dame's going to have a hard time impressing him. I think it, it's going to be one of those visits where he's going to get on campus, and probably within five minutes, he's going to be like. Yeah, I could see myself here, or like, uh, I'll just watch the yeah. game and get out. Um, so he would be a nice addition to that defense. They're not poor at linebacker right now with Barajas, Bilal, and Coney. Uh, and as the season's going, maybe we're going to see a red shirt for Bilal and Barajas. Um, but Hansford is a, is a guy to watch moving forward. He'd be a nice addition to this class. Well, if Nordame wins this game, Aaron Hansford and a lot of other Nordame recruits will be impressed. Nordame opened as a two point favorite. Uh, when the line was first posted there, they immediately bet down to a two, two and a half uh, point underdog on this. Rain is definitely in the forecast. There's, as of right now, there is a 100% chance of rain in the morning. They're saying it will probably end uh, for the afternoon. Nordame doesn't have that real grass anymore. So if it does end uh, prior to 3.30, Nordame should be in good shape. We will talk to you next from Nordame Stadium Saturday in our instant analysis, our countdown to kickoff.